Hey, plant friends. Buenos dias, buenas tardes, buenas noches, whatever time it is where you are now. It's awesome to connect with you again and, and have you join in on today's conversation and episode of the Plant Proof Podcast with vegan booty builder and mental health advocate, Bianca Taylor. For regular listeners, welcome back. If you are new, my name is Simon Hill and I am the host of the Plant Proof Podcast and creator of plantproof.com, your free resource for plant-based nutritional information. Everything from recipes to blogs on science, blogs on nutrition, to reviews, interviews, etc. It's all free content that I put online at plantproof.com. And this podcast show is all about having authentic conversations with folks around the world that honestly I would even have if the show didn't exist. And the aim is to help us all become more conscious and mindful about the way we live. Before I jump into the episode, a quick update. I recorded this episode in LA with Bianca last week on my very last night there. We had a feed at Erewhon first in Venice Beach. If you haven't been there and you live in LA or you live nearby or you're going to LA, definitely check them out. That is Erewhon Grocery Store. I have zero affiliation with them, but they're probably the best grocery store I've ever stepped foot into. And they have an epic buffet, which is mainly vegan. Once again, thank you for sharing your feedback on previous episodes on social media. I read all of your kind words and often repost them to inspire others to check out the episodes. Your sharing is certainly resulting in the show being more widely discovered, which I believe is having a positive impact on the world. So thank you. Now to this episode, Bianca's story and journey is really remarkable and the strength that she has to share it is something I truly respect. We dive deep into her childhood, her mental battles with feeling lost in this world and not knowing her place, how her dad was shot, and what that meant for her, how that changed her life, unhealthy relationships with food and weight, unhealthy relationship with an ex-boyfriend, how she finally sought help, her transition to a plant-based diet, her tips for training your mind and dealing with mental health issues, why mental health should be something we speak about and shouldn't be so taboo, and much, much more. I've said it before, but mental health and suicide affects all of us. We all have bad days. We all know people who are battling. I myself know several people and, and I had a close friend commit suicide two years ago. We need to talk about this stuff we need to make people understand it's okay to feel down and need to support them. I hope you enjoy this episode. Bianca Taylor, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Thank you for having me. So cool to be here. We are sitting in Venice. Yeah. Just had a bite to eat at Air One. Mm -hmm. Nimoy, Bianca's boyfriend's also here. So really cool to, to connect with you guys this week and and run the plant focus event that we had it was tremendously successful and um i'm super grateful to have been involved with you guys yeah i'm so happy you were able to be here it was a lot of fun and i think that everybody really enjoyed it now bianca this this episode is all about you <laughs> and i've had Nimai on the on the podcast he was i think episode three we did that 
from from Neymar's Jeep. So this time oh, we I remember <laughs> this this time we we're not recording in a car, so shouldn't be any background background noises unless Neymar's phone goes off. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna tell you. Bianca, the guests have have most most likely seen you on social media mm-hmm. and and read and heard a lot about you and and definitely know where things are for you today, but. I think I'd, I'd love to explore how it all started, how it began and your journey, what you've been through that has sh- shaped you and, and has seen you arrive in this place now. And then we can talk about the future and what's in store. So where obviously you're living here in Venice now, but where did, where did you grow up and what's your background? So I grew up in Tampa, Florida. I was actually born in New Jersey, but grew up in Florida. So I'm a Floridian at heart. And the culture there is, it's very mixed. It's like a melting pot because I grew up in Tampa, which is kind of a big city. My family is Hispanic. So I'm Cuban on my dad's side, Colombian on my mom's side. And I grew up eating a lot of, you know, Latin food, rice, beans, a lot of meat. I didn't go vegan until, you know, later on in, in life, which I'll get to. But I just grew up like a, you know, regular, you know, Latin American girl and I would say I was always very shy, introverted, and insecure. <laughs> and going through sort of primary school and, and the younger stage of high school, what were your interests? Like what what did you sort of sink your teeth in and what did you want to be when you were older? So I was always drawn to the arts. And when I was really little, I wanted to be an artist. Like I wanted to be the artist that you see like on the street in Venice, like painting stuff on the street, like selling their artwork right there. Like that was my dream when I was little. I realized that that wasn't going to work out. I ended up getting into dance and that became my passion. And I was a complete theater kid. So dancing brought me into acting and singing and performance was kind of like my it was almost like a drug because it was like I had to constantly perform and go to practice. And it was like a distraction from everything that I was going through in my personal life. And I thought that I was going to do that for the rest of my life. I had no idea I was going to end up, you know, on the path that I'm on right now. So what I had, did you start that? I normally people start dance when they're very, very young. I started when I was like around 12 years old, which is kind of late to the game. But I caught up really fast and kind of like rose up the ranks and I became a lead choreographer. And by the time I was 17, I opened a dance studio and I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I don't like having a boss or feeling like an employee. So I started this dance studio with my best friend. We were able to get, you know, investment money and everything. And I, like, I, like I said, I thought that was going to be my, my future. I thought that I was going to be teaching dance, performing, choreographing shows. Like that was, you know, everything to me. And then... I just kind of had the fear that I wasn't on the right path because nobody else was doing that. I just had that big fear of I'm not doing what everyone else my age is doing. And I wish I wouldn't have experienced that feeling. But at the same time, that's what has you know brought me here ultimately today to be like where I am now. But I dropped out of college and was trying to like do my own thing. And everybody else was going to college and like in a sorority. And I just was like on a completely different path. And I just I felt really pressured to do that. So I, I went back to school and um, I hated it. I just like nothing again. Like I think, you know, completing college and school is amazing, but it just wasn't for me. So I just. <laughs> and you, you mentioned that you were dancing and perhaps that was escaping a little bit from like person, your personal life. Yeah. What, what was going on while you were growing up? Were you, were you battling with personal issues outside of that? Yeah. So I've always had a mental health battle. And that's why I've become so passionate about 
um, talking about mental health because when I was younger, it wasn't something that you could talk about. But when I was around 13 years old, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, which kind of made it all make sense because I felt like growing up, I always felt different. I always felt sad. I, I remember always like saying like, I just want to like run away. I want to disappear. And I just had this feeling of like, why, you know, what's the point of life? Like we, we live and then we get old and we die. I thought that way since I was younger and I didn't understand why. My doctor diagnosed me uh, clinical depression, recommended for my mom to put me on antidepressants right away. And she was kind of like, you know, uncomfortable with that because I was so young. So I was like in and out of therapy for a while. I didn't connect with any of my therapists that I saw. Did the medications help? Um, so I was, I would, I wouldn't, wasn't taking them consistently enough to know if they were helping. And then I kept going to all these different doctors and then eventually a psychiatrist prescribed me with Prozac and I never took it. I just kept the bottle of it and I kind of lied to my mom about taking it. I went through all of this crazy (laughs) abnormal experiences in life. So high school was a really hard time for me because not only was I dealing with the regular teenage girl stuff, you know, heartbreak and insecure about your body and the, the pressure to be skinny and pretty and perfect. I was dealing with all of that, but I also was going through a lot in my family life because my dad was shot and paralyzed from the waist down. How did that happen? So it's kind of a, it's a really complicated story, but in short, one night I went to a friend's house and my siblings were also out with my mom and we were going to move into a different home and we, might, we were like renovating the new house. So my dad was there working late at night, putting in like new tile and then he was attacked by three men and they shot him, left him there to die. And by some stroke of luck, miracle. by a miracle, the next door neighbor decided to take his trash out in the middle of the night, which he never, ever did. And he saw my dad bleeding out on the driveway and they helicoptered him to the hospital. He was in the emergency room for, you know, to get the bullet out. And he was in the ICU for a long time. And I just remember getting the phone call the next day. Like, you know, I was in middle school at the time or I was, I was in eighth grade. And I remember getting the phone call that like my dad was in an accident and thinking like, oh, he's going to be fine. Like he probably just broke his arm or something. Like I just thought it was the least worry. And then when I got to the hospital and saw my dad with like, you know, tubes on his neck and he was like all beat up because he was attacked. I just remember thinking, okay, my life is like completely taking like a turn here. Crazy. Yeah. Was that in Tampa? Yeah, that was in Tampa. Is it is it is it like quite prevalent, quite common for shootings to happen? Or- no. no, no, and it was actually like whenever I tell people this story, that especially when I tell like people that live in in Tampa about this story, because we lived in like the suburbs, we lived in like a really good neighborhood. I went to private school for for middle school. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say it was like a crime free environment because I don't think any place is crime free, but it was like a good friendly neighborhood. You know the last place that you would expect something like that to happen. But in short, I just think that my dad had contacts with the wrong people and he, you know, that's what brought that on. It wasn't like, you know, he was walking through, you know, the hood and he got mugged. It was kind of his own doing. And I remember, you know, after seeing him in the hospital, it was just like a blur. Like I remember the next couple of months were like a complete blur. Like I I didn't go to school for a couple of weeks and from this point, I feel like I started to develop disordered eating based on stress because we were just going through so much as a family that my mom would 
she was so, I mean, she was going through so much. Like her husband was just paralyzed and she still had me and my brother were living at home. My sister was away in college. So she had two kids to take care of. And it was just a lot of stress on her. And I feel like when you're a young kid and like your mom is cooking dinner and breakfast for you, you just don't eat. So I started like not eating and then I would go to school and so you would have been losing a lot of weight at that stage. Yeah. So I started losing weight. And I remember when I went into my freshman year of high school, I remember like going shopping for clothes and like a size double zero jeans were huge on me. Like that's how, and that's the smallest you can go. So I was pretty tiny and it was just a matter of like weight loss because I was stressed and I was depressed and I was going through so much. That was when I got into theater and I started to find like my myself again, I guess, in a way, because I would just, it was like having an alter ego. Like I can become a character, I can act, I can sing, I could choreograph and create something and I didn't have to worry about like everything going on at home. Yeah. So I had kind of an interesting high school experience amongst other things. Like there was just so much going on. It was a really difficult time. And so you went through there and you just told us before you, you went in and you went out and set up your own business. Mm -hmm. You dropped out of uni, went and set up your own business. You decided to go back and finish studying. I did, but I didn't stick with that either. I had always been, I'd always been the type of person that I like to try something out. And if I know in my heart that this isn't for me, I don't like it. I don't feel like I just, I'm not happy with it. I just change it. And I, and for a long time, I thought that it was, you know, my depression. That was the reason for that. I was like always blaming myself. Like my mental health is the reason why I can't like stick with a job or stick with a, a major or stay in school. Like I transferred school a couple times. I changed my major. I tried different classes and it just, I felt like my depression made me ha- lack passion for life. But I realized now that it was also mainly because I just hadn't found my passion yet. And were you, when you were sort of having these thoughts and feeling down, did you have friends and family members that you were actively sort of talking to about all this or was it being bottled up? It was definitely being bottled up. And so during this, all this time while I was going through this like family, traumatic family stuff, I didn't really turn to my family just because one, I didn't like to talk about the fact that I already had clinical depression. And then on top of that, like the circumstantial depression based on, you know, events And I just didn't want to make it all about me because, you know, everyone in my family was going through a hard time. And then, you know, my parents got divorced after my dad's accident. So then that was like a whole nother thing. I, you know, I blamed myself and I had made them, I I guess I always say like, I made the mistake of being in a, trying to be in a serious relationship when I was young, but you know, I was just young and naive. And I, um, I ended up dating a guy who was older than me and kind of completely confided everything in him. And my mistake there was that he was the only person I turned to at the time. And he was actually sexually and emotionally abusive to me. So I kind of was bringing myself like in a downward spiral without knowing it. So whenever that relationship ended, I was like at a pretty low, low. And that was around like the end of high school time. And also around, because I started my my dance studio business while I was still in high school, like during summer. Okay, wow. Yeah. So, so did you sort of feel like you couldn't openly talk about the fact that you'd been diagnosed with depression because of the stigma? And it's like, particularly back then, it was a bit more taboo. Was that, was that pressure of like, what are people going to think about me? Was that? Yeah, it was, it was definitely like a combination of the stigma of it, just because now, you know, people are a lot more open about it. And I think because social media has helped that a lot, but at the time, you know, social media wasn't quite a thing. And 
I felt like if I talked about it, people would think I was crazy. Or like I said, my family was going through so much that they would just kind of be like, why are you making this all about you when we're going where everybody's going through something? How old are you now? Now I'm 25. Okay. So you're you're still very young. If you were to go back and talk to the younger Bianca Mm -hmm. in the the later years of high school and when you were dating the the guy that you sort of alluded was a bit of an unhealthy relationship, Mm -hmm. what would you have said to yourself to perhaps guide you down a a path that may have helped you work through this journey a little faster? I would tell my younger self to seek out help. I was just so um, hesitant on seeking out help, even though, like I mentioned before, you know, my mom tried to send me to different therapists. I didn't quite click with any of them. And then I gave up on the whole idea of therapy because I just thought, okay, I'm not going to click with any of these people. Nothing they say is helping me. And I just gave up on the possibility of having professional help or just help from an outsider. And that kind of was my biggest mistake. Something that I would redo is I would have kept seeking help because I finally did, you know, connect with a therapist later on in life. And that was really a major turning point for me. But, you know, at the time, had I been probably telling somebody else everything I was going through, they could have gotten some really good advice on like, you know, what to do. And obviously now you've got a fairly active role in promoting mental health and sort of breaking that stigma. When you are speaking to other people who are affected by this, is that something that's common that people sort of try and manage it and deal with it all themselves? Yeah, definitely. It's something that, you know, like I said, it's a combination of the stigma. You think people are going to think of you as a certain way. For men, oftentimes they think it makes them weak. It's demasculating. And for people who, there's just so many different uh, scenarios. Like if somebody has kids and they feel like it's selfish of them to admit that they have a problem or you know, if they have a lot of money or success and they feel like if they say that they have a problem, then people are going to think they're ungrateful. So, you know, there's all of these stigmas and just fears of being open about it when, you know, mental health doesn't discriminate. It affects everybody in different ways. Even people who maybe don't deal with mental health issues themselves, they know of somebody that does. And by not, you know, reaching out for, you know, telling them, you know, you can talk to me or let me help you get help. You know, you are essentially not helping them. So yeah, I know at the event the other day, you asked everyone to put their hand up if they have been affected themselves mm-hmm. themselves, or have known someone in every single every Yeah, room. exactly. And I bet, you know, every single one of them. I wasn't even expecting that. I was expecting majority of yeah. people to raise their hands, but every single person in the room raised their hand. And then after the event was over, so many people came up mm-hmm. to me and kind of shared their stories with me. And I was like shocked by how many people, you know, that this has like deeply affected and like changed, completely changed their lives in like traumatic ways or positive ways, like all of these different things based on the fact that them or somebody that they cared about was afraid to seek help. It's crazy, isn't it? Because yeah. it shows how widespread it is and it is still a little bit taboo. Like it still is, Yeah, but sure. it's almost normal. Like it is normal. Everyone yeah. has battles and it affects people differently. It's either affected you or affected someone that you know. That's why it's so important that we talk about this. So I want to get into further down the podcast, more practical tips that you have for people. But before we do that, let's continue with your journey. So where did you sort of, what happened when you you finished up at doing your own thing, working? When when did you sort of actually start to get some some external help and, and go down that path? So it took me a while to get help. So when I was in high school, Towards the end of high school, I had had my dance studio business for like a little bit over a year. 
And I decided to leave that. And then I was going through all of like the college changes and trying to figure my, my life out. And I was going through like a really, really dark time. And then I attempted suicide for the first time with that bottle of Prozac that I was prescribed that I never used. I tried overdosing on Prozac and I thought that it gave, it definitely gave me like a a reality check because it was kind of shocking. I remember passing out multiple times. And then when I woke up, I thought like, am I dead? Because I remember, I just remember passing out so many times and then everything else was blurred. So how long ago was that? Well, I was 17. So I'm 25 now. Can you remember on that day sort of what was going through your mind to get you to that lowest state where you're like, I need to do this? I remember, I think that the sad thing about suicide or like suicidal thoughts is that it affects a lot of people, you know, with depression, anxiety, or even people who maybe have not been like ever diagnosed with a problem is something that like you think about when things get really, really hard, you just think, okay, should I even continue living on? And you don't see the end of the tunnel. You don't see your your own future. And I remember like for me, I, it was something that, like I said, when I, since I was younger, I was just always had these very dramatic thoughts of, you know, what's the point of life? Like I had always, you know, thought that to myself and I went on this roller coaster through life. And then I remember being 17 and getting out of this toxic relationship that I was in. And like I said, my boyfriend was the only person that I had to talk that I like really confided in fully. And then when I had kind of realized that he was out of my life, I felt like, okay, well, I have all of this stuff that I've just been suppressing and suppressing and suppressing and inside of me that I felt like I was going to explode. And I felt like I can't turn to anybody. I don't want to like, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And really the only reason that people can even come to that conclusion that, you know, they want to end their life is because you think that it's better to just end your life than to deal with whatever you're dealing with. The pain. So yes, exactly. The, the pain is just so strong. And, um, yeah, so I remember thinking that, and then I just, I did that. And then after I did it, I actually called one of my friends. She was like a friend from, from church that I had. And then I went to her house and then I ended up like passing out at her house and like I had told her what I did. So she was. So you just wanted someone to be able to watch you. Yeah. And then um, I remember waking up like, like hours later and she was like, what happened? Are you okay? Like you've, you've been like passed out and she was foreign. So she didn't quite understand a lot of things. So she just thought that I was really tired. Oh, so you never, you never told her? I didn't tell her what I, what I had done. So she thought that I came over and I was you know, so exhausted from my emotional day that I passed out. Like, like, I don't even remember honestly showing up at her house or passing out. I don't really quite remember what happened. The rest of the day was kind of a blur. Like I said, the next day it was like a, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to be in that place again. And so your mindset changed? Slightly, like it changed slightly, but it, I still didn't like, I, I wanted to make a change. And that was when I started to get into working out because I thought like, I just wanted to start doing positive things for myself. So I made it a goal to like get to the gym three times a week. Like that was my goal. I started going to the gym three times a week. Didn't really know what I was doing, but then I ended up making friends with trainers and like figuring out how to lift weights. And then I got into competitive bodybuilding because I was at the gym all the time. Cause that was, that became my new escape after I had quit dance. You know, I needed somewhere to put all of my energy and just, it ended up being weightlifting. I ended up really liking it. And a coach approached me and he was like, Hey, like, I want to coach you to compete in bikini. And I was like, sure. Okay. So I just, I did it and I ended up getting addicted to the competitive side of it. So how, how long ago was this? I started training when I was like, like when I had just turned 20, 20 years old. Okay. So you've, you've been bodybuilding. Yeah. It's longer than Neymar. 
Um, <laughs> technically speaking, I mean, I did. Who's the I, real bodybuilder here? <laughs> well, I did. Yeah, I started my I started my bodybuilding journey like before he did. So like if you look at our like both of our timelines where we were at this yeah. year in life, which was pretty two, similar. Yeah. 20, 2013, I guess. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. 2013. I mean, I was like really into the competitive bodybuilding world and I was like a, a meathead and I don't know what name I was doing, but he wasn't there yet. <laughs> yeah. So talk me through that stage. What was a normal week looking like for you? How, how, how often were you training? How hard? What were you doing? And what type of competitions were you sort of building up? To? So I was a little bit intense because I wanted, like, like I said, it, it became my new distraction, my new drug to distract me from all my suppressed pain. And for one, um, I got a job at the gym. So I was working at the gym from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m., and then I also picked up two other jobs because I was trying to keep myself so busy. And also bodybuilding is expensive. When you first start, if you don't have sponsors and everything, I mean, it's expensive, especially for bikini girls. You need to buy a bikini and your earrings. And like, it's just, it adds up. So, you know, I was not making very much money. So I'd wake up 4 a.m. every morning, meal prep all my food. I, was, I wasn't vegan at the time. So I was eating like no carbs and just- What were you eating? Like chicken, salmon, broccoli? Um, pretty much uh, fish mostly and then like some chicken and then uh like asparagus and green asparagus and yeah like i don't like asparagus to this day because i overdid it so there was no carbohydrates at that stage yeah no carbs which is is, is just so funny because like i mean you've seen me eat like i eat a lot yeah, i eat a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually i was eyeing off that burrito you had the other day at stage i gotta get back there and have one of those things i had massive food envy yeah, I, I can I can eat and like every time like Nimai talks to people, he's like, oh, yeah, Bianca can eat so much. And I'm like, <laughs> like I wasn't always like that. <laughs> so I would meal prep all my food, my carbless food. I go to my first job. I'd work there for a couple of hours and then I would train. I'd go to my next job and like every three hours or so, whatever, I would eat my meal. Like I was eating it like on time. I was drinking a gallon of water every day. And then I would go to the train twice a day. So I was at the gym essentially three times a day because I worked there and then I would train like two training. Were you feeling better sort of coming from a a non-training state to doing that and having some structure? And and I mean, gyms, you get around some fairly positive people. Yeah, exactly. I think that it was the, like the bodybuilding community is just a bunch of people who are... (laughs) you know, they're enthusiastic about what they're doing. They're, they're all like, you know, like train hard and like, like the meatheads, like those were like my friends, you know, and everybody was just really into themselves. And not, not, and I'm not saying that like a, I'm not trying to like throw shade at bodybuilders, but like, you know, they're, it's an individual sport. So you have to be really focused on yourself. And I like the fact that I could be selfish and just focus on like bettering myself. And I thought that I was like, complete, like solving all of my problems by creating like a shredded physique, but I was really avoiding all my problems. And then, yeah, I ended up leaving my job at the gym, going into a full-time marketing job. I would wake up just as early. I wake up at like 4 a.m., go to the gym, come back, go to my job, go back to the gym. Which city was this in? This is in Tampa. Still in Tampa, yeah. Yeah, and bodybuilding is actually very big and popular in Tampa. Like everybody competes or something. Yeah, so that was pretty much my life. It was just gym, work, gym. I didn't go out. Like my social life was hanging around the gym after my workout, talking to all my gym friends and posing practice. And, you know, I, I really liked it, but at the same time I was like, I did have a lot of moments where I was just sitting in my car alone in the gym parking lot, like crying my eyes out because I felt like so much pain inside from everything I'd been through and I wasn't dealing with it. When did you sort of stop, I guess, using the the gym and this new lifestyle to suppress the pain and, and work on facing it and working through it? So 
in 2014, I competed in a show. I got second place. I was like really happy with that because I just, I remember thinking like my goal is just to, you know, make top five. I got second place. So I was like ecstatic about it. And then I was like also like my best physique as far as competing goes. And then I had already scheduled to get a breast augmentation done like a week after the show, which is a terrible idea. If anybody's listening to this and considering doing that, don't do that. Why is that? <laughs> because your body fat is so low that you just going to, it the, makes the whole surgery painful because you don't have much stretch to your skin, if that makes it's sense. It's really taut right. skin. Exactly. And um, I just, I just wanted it so bad. And then the only reason that I had wanted it, because I didn't, never wanted it before bodybuilding was because in the bikini bodybuilding world and the same goes for figure competitors as well the judges really pressure you to like if you don't have implants really? they, they'll suggest it to you they'll be like you have a great physique but you need some boobs and that's really messed up and i see that now but at the time i was just like i'll do anything to win i want to be the best like i was just so like you were caught up in that world. i was so caught up in it yeah. and this is a normal i was like at my new marketing job so i was making good money so i could afford it and I, I did this competition. I, I placed, I did really well. A week later I had surgery. And then after I had that surgery, I had hit a completely low point, like the lowest point of my depression ever, because I had realized that I got everything that I wanted. Like I checked off all of these boxes of superficial goals. Like I got shredded. I had a six so pack. It's like the come down of like a massive high. Exactly. Exactly. And it just made me realize that I was like, nothing is making me happy. Like I, you know, had all these gym friends who were supportive. I was like, at the time my, I had maybe like 8,000 Instagram followers or, or whatever. And for me, like that was a lot. And it was just like naturally from like, you know, fit, fitness, I was posting fitness videos and stuff. And um, so I was like, you know, I'm doing this social media thing for fun. You know, it's growing. I'm making good money at my new job. I am super shredded. I won a trophy for it. I got my boobs done. So that was like, so now I can't complain about you know, mm. that. And I just realized that I was so empty, but also filled with pain. So that was that, yeah, that sounds so frustrating that you're like, you would have, were you thinking like, what's the point of all this? Like, where, exactly. where, where's this? Exactly. And it was like, I came, I came in a big circle back to how I felt when I was a kid thinking, what's the point of life? You do all these things and then you die. And I felt like that again. And I was like, I will, I did all of the things that I wanted to do. Like I, I would journal every night and I had all these goals written in my journal for the year and the year was like halfway over and I completed all the goals. I had X amount of money saved. I had this, 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 and like just nothing was making me happy. And I, I went back to those suicidal feelings again and called suicide hotline and just out of being so desperate of having nobody to talk to. And the woman who was like the operator, I just, you know, vented to her everything like, everything that like I just said, like I basically told her, like, I feel completely empty. I've been through so much pain in my life. I did everything that I thought would make me happy. It's not making me happy. And she was like, well, sounds like you just don't really know what your passion or your purpose is in life. And you should just spend time looking for that. And I was just like, whatever. But but one time I hung up on the phone with her, I calmed down a little bit. I had gotten away from feeling like, you know, I needed to end my life. And, you know, I got to thinking about what she was saying. And I was like, you know, maybe she's, she's right. And like, it's funny. I actually don't share that a lot that this operator on suicide hotline actually was like a major turning point for me because it made me start to realize that part of the reason why I felt so, so sad was because I went through all of this, all of these painful experiences in life. Like I went through 
trauma with my family and emotional pain and sexual abuse and hateful thoughts of from myself. And I thought like, for what, like, what's the point of all of this? And then I realized maybe there was a purpose. And then this was all within the same probably week that I went vegan. <laughs> so wow, what kick started that? So during this like really depressive state when I was like post breast augmentation surgery and God, everything was happening at once. Wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like a it was like a hurricane of things happened, <laughs> and I hit this this low. And um, before like the whole suicide hotline phone call happened, I started going back into that anxious not eating place that I go into like I did when I was younger. But this time it was like a combination of I'm so stressed out and unhappy that I don't want to eat to also like if I eat, what if I lose my abs? And it's it's technically sports anorexia when you like it happens to a lot of athletes, you know, male and female, when they are so afraid to lose their physique that they work so hard for, they end up like not eating at all. And that basically happened to me. So I was losing weight. I was losing like a lot of the muscle I worked really hard for. And I was losing even more and more weight. So I was just getting like skinnier and skinnier. And that was, you know, not feeding my body well and not giving myself good nutrition was just affecting my mental health even more, which is why I ended up in that place of like suicidal thinking. I was dealing with anorexia. I made the suicide hotline call. This woman's advice actually like sparked some a thought in me. And then at the same time, I also got a puppy. So it was like so much going on. My dad got me a puppy for my birthday. And one day I was, I was trying to force myself because I wanted to be positive again. I, I, you know, after that phone call, I was like, okay, I really do want to make a change. So I was like, I'm going to start, I'm really, really trying to eat because I like, I don't want to be not eating. So I remember I was trying to cook chicken and then I looked down at my dog and I looked at my chicken and I just like, was like, this isn't right. (laughs) And it just like hit me that, you know, if you killed my dog and chopped him up and put him in a pan, it would look exactly like chicken. Mm. And like, how would I know the difference? And I just completely lost my appetite and threw the chicken away and went to the computer, Googled, why do people become vegetarian? And that was basically the day I went vegan. I went full vegan, like instantly. What was that like? Like, did you have a bit of a a stereotypical view of what vegan was what they were like the people and what their food was like well I actually didn't just because I didn't even know what the word vegan was like I had never heard of it I think I had heard it once and I thought like that must be like some sort of vegetarian diet there wasn't many vegans at in Tampa no yeah there was there was none and so when I I googled you know why do people go vegetarian and I saw all I just started doing all this research on how agriculture affects climate. It affects, affects world hunger. Like how much grain we feed livestock could actually end world hunger. And like that really hit me because I was thinking like, here I am being depressed when I have everything that somebody could ask for. And there's children that are starving. Meanwhile, we have so much food and we're just like force feeding these animals and then they're being slaughtered. And I was just like, none of this makes any sense. Like I said, gave you great perspective. It, yeah. Completely just changed my perspective. And then that's so funny, like how life works out. My mom had been on the computer earlier that day and she had her YouTube tabs open and my mom's always looking up like weight loss diets. So she had like all these videos um, up for weight loss diets. And one of them was uh, from a vegan uh, YouTuber. And so I watched the video and then I was like, oh, like she doesn't eat any meat. And I started watching all her videos, uh, like why you should go vegan. And that basically- Can you remember me. who she was? I can, it was Freely. And I know people, yeah. people are so like, you know, 
had their their thoughts on yeah, freely. She inspired you. She yes. did, and she's yeah. she's and ins- probably other people. She's inspired so many people to you know to change their lifestyle. And yeah, she has some some videos that were you know a little off topic, controversial, controversial. Yeah, because she's she's just a very opinionated person. But at the same time, I admired that, even though like I didn't agree with some of the things she said. I'm like, wow, like she is brave. She got you thinking exactly because she you know she was blunt and her you know her bluntness kind of made me think you know like this is you know i think i could do this like if she could do it i could do it and then i just went to the grocery store and i bought a bunch of fruits and vegetables and i was eating raw till four (laughs) because she was the first person i found so i was like okay this is how vegans eat i didn't know there was like vegan junk food i didn't know about all these different so you went straight into raw till four oh yeah it's pretty hard it was pretty rough especially (laughs) considering that i was you know in the midst of anorexia and i was basically went from eating like nothing, especially not carbs. Like if I ate anything, it was like whey protein or chicken. I went from that to, you know, eating, like trying to eat bananas. Like my body was not ready for the fiber. Fiber, yeah. But I would say after like a week, I re- like it, it kind of, you know, I realized, okay, like I just can't eat this much fruit in one sitting. So I started just like splitting it up and kind of eating like whatever I could. It was also hard because I had to deal with like the mental aspect of you know, recovery and weight gain and things that, you know, your body changes when you've been starving it for so long, you know, my body adapted to it and, you know, and then I, I felt great after. So how, so it took a couple of weeks, you started getting like positive feedback from your body in terms of how you were feeling. Yeah. I would say like there was a week of like, you know, my digestion kind of adjusting to, you know, cause it's like you're all of a sudden I was eating all this fiber. I was just eating a lot of calories in general. I was trying to, and it took me probably a week and then I started to feel better and I was still like, you know, going to the gym like crazy. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm getting like the best pumps ever. What did your gym buddies think about? Like, did you, were you <laughs> they, openly speaking yeah. about it? And like- well, yeah, because when you first go vegan, it's like you think that everybody's going to be as open to it as you are. So you're like, hey, I just went vegan. And everybody's like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. All and my- especially when you felt that like after a couple of weeks and you felt so good, you've wanted to share it. No, exactly. share that. Yeah, exactly. I, I wanted to share, like, I was like, look, I'm getting like really awesome pumps and, you know, we're doing like positive things for the world and it's healthier and like blah, blah, blah. And I like how you started that. You, you, you started with, with gym talk to lure them. Yeah, exactly. Pump. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I remember, I remember like telling like a, a group of gym buddies, like I went vegan because they were like, so what's new? And I was like, well, I'm a vegan now. <laughs> and they all laughed and they were like, so, you know, so that means you're, you're not getting mean anymore. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, well, that's probably not going to last. Like you'll be eating burgers in no time. And I was like, no, I'm like, it's for life. It's for life. And they were like, yeah, whatever. And it's funny because anytime I see these people in Tampa, they're like, are you still vegan? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> of course I am. You know, it's like, you know, it's a for life thing. Yeah, that you know, they reacted kind of oddly to it. But, you know, I think now they probably, I mean, even if they don't understand it themselves, they, they get that it's something that I'm sticking to. So you started to think a little bit more about your purpose after that phone call and you changed your diet. All of this happened fairly quickly. Yeah. How did your, your mental health, journey go from there and what did someone help you work on or what happened from there? Yeah. So it's really interesting because when I decided to go vegan, like I said, I was doing all of this research and I was reading about all of these things going on in the world and how our financial choices, like what we choose to buy, like has a major you know effect. And I started to realize there's so much going on in the world. And, you know, 
I was feeling like purposeless. And I was also feeling, it also made me feel a little bit selfish for being so focused on me. Like I was just so, I was so focused on like, if I do this, this, and this for myself, then I will find happiness. And then it turned out that that wasn't true. So I started to think, okay, well, there's so much more going on around me that maybe if I just put my energy focusing on those things, then I will find the happiness that I seem to have always been missing. And I started to, you know, be focused on the vegan movement. I was just kind of getting myself like more educated in that sense. And at the same time, my social media was growing. People were reaching out to me for help for fitness reasons. And because I have, once I like announced that I had like changed to vegan, then I started- Sparked a lot of interest. Exactly. People were like, oh, so like, what is this? And people that were vegan, people weren't talking about like vegan- Particularly as a uh, vegan who is doing female bodybuilding. Exactly. So I went from like, like I had was posting pictures of me, like, you know, on stage. And then like a couple of weeks later, I was like, oh, by the way, I'm like, I've decided to go vegan. And I was very open about being an ethical vegan. Like I was like, I'm vegan because it's the healthiest diet, but I'm also vegan for ethical reasons. Like I've always been open about that from day one. And people were, you know, they responded pretty positively to it. And I started getting like emails and messages of people saying like, oh, can you re- help me with a diet or with macros or give me some training advice? And then I realized, okay, well, I can help these people. So I started just helping people like here and there, like friends. And and then I realized that by helping people change their their body, it helped them create more confidence and that spills over into other things in their life. And then they were healthier and they were happier and they were having a positive effect on, you know, the world and animals and the environment. So I realized, okay, well, I didn't quite look at it as like, this is my purpose, but I thought, you know, this makes me happy. It's coming together. It was all, yeah, it was starting to come together without me actually realizing it. And I started putting a lot of energy in there. And then I realized, okay, well, maybe I can, you know, make, make a business out of this. So I was just kind of doing it on the side. I definitely was doing it enough to fully support myself yet. And then I started to realize, well, if I'm going to be coaching people, I need to get myself together. And I had, you know, all this suppressed stuff from my childhood, my teenage years. I had these really negative I had a really negative self image and that just came from, you know, everything that I had been through just kind of turned into me looking at myself, thinking that I was ugly and I was fat and I was never good enough and all of these negative things. And I thought, well, I would never talk to my clients this way. So I can't talk to myself this way. And that's mainly the reason why I decided to seek help because I was like, I want to help other people, but I can't help them unless I help myself. So I decided to seek out therapy again, give it a chance. And I ended up finding a therapist that was really amazing. And she completely, she became my mentor. She was different than regular therapists. And I just felt like a really great connection with her. I was really open with her and she was just really blunt and honest with me. And she gave me a lot of tools on how to work on my self-love, my self-image. And from there, I was, you know, working through a lot of things. I was working through emotional like recovery. And I was also going through like anorexia recovery. And that came with weight gain, which also like I would kind of binge eat. I started it, like my anorexia turned into binge eating just because my body was so hungry that when I started eating, I just felt like I couldn't stop. And she helped me through, you know, my binge eating phase and kind of really gain, regain control of myself and my body again. And then I would say that was a major turning point for, you know, my- it Was part my of that having to confront a lot of this stuff? Oh Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a lot of stuff, even stuff that I didn't think I had suppressed came up. And that's another really great thing about getting professional help with your mental health is that sometimes when something ha- like when something happens to us when we're a child, 
it's not the same as when it happens to when an adult. So when something happens to you when you're a child, like let's say, you know, you do something your parents told you not to do and then they yell at you, but they just yell at you out of just discipline. You think they're yelling at me because they hate me. And then you might forget about it the next day, but you hold this thing inside of you that anytime somebody raises their voice at me, it's because they hate me. Buried it down. Exactly. And it turns into this perspective of, you know, of yourself. And that definitely, you know, happened to me with a lot of things that I went through with my parents. And it turned into the way that I thought people looked at me. And then I started to look at myself in a negative light. And so I had to really pull up some really, really deep rooted emotional weeds, as I would like call them. Like if my mind is a garden, like there are weeds in there. That must have been tough. It was pretty, it was really tough. And I think it's something that goes on, like it's a journey that never stops. It's not something that like, okay, like I pulled out all of these emotional things from my past and like, I'm all cured now. Like there's always stuff that comes up. And even when I pull something out, it's not like I confront it and it goes away. Like I might have to confront that thing for a while, but with the tools that I've learned from my therapist, I'm able to learn, okay, how to cope with them. Every time something triggers these feelings, how do I deal with them? Like what's my best outlet? And then I'm able to, you know, to keep on moving. Work through it. Yeah. You mentioned that you had found this therapist who you had seemed to have a a better relationship with than previous ones. Mm -hmm. For anyone listening, I guess first part of that is how important is that relationship? And if someone's listening, is there any tips for sort of helping them navigate through that to find someone that they can work with? Yeah, I would definitely say one, never be afraid to try. I think that you know, like we said, like the stigma and, and everything, you might even think that there's a stigma with going to therapy. Like for some people, they don't even want to mention that they go to therapy because they think if they say that, then people will automatically assume, well, what's wrong with you that you need therapy? Nothing has to be wrong with you to go to therapy. It's like exercising your mind, like going to the gym. Exactly. It's like in the same way that you would want a trainer for the gym, like having a therapist or some sort of mental health professional or mentor It doesn't have to necessarily, like there's a lot of different people in that field, but having somebody to mentor you there is just to have somebody help you navigate through your mind and your thoughts, because, you know, we're all human. We have all these crazy thoughts about ourselves and about our relationships and everything. And it's just really helpful to have somebody that's unbiased from the outside, tell you, you know, give you some advice and tell you things that maybe you didn't see at first. So I would say, number one, don't be afraid to look for a therapist and to, you know, admit that you're going to therapy. Like I say proudly, like I have a therapist, like she's amazing, you know? And then as far as like finding the right therapist, it's like dating. I always say it's like, you've got to like have a couple ones that you don't really like, and then you'll find one that you hit it off with, but you just have to be kind of willing to get through that. Like if you're willing to date all of these people until you find your soulmate, you might as well just work out, work out what you don't want. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So if you, if we, Jump back, your Instagram starting to take off. Yeah. You've had that phone call and the suicide hotline has recommended that you find your purpose or, or just pointed out that maybe you haven't found your purpose. Mm-hmm. Instagram's growing. You're starting to get this feedback from people who are resonating with your message and you're starting to feel like you now, I guess, have a bit of a place in the world and can yeah. make a difference. Mm-hmm. How did it sort of grow from there to where things are now? That's a good question. (laughs) It's kind of crazy because it's like, I feel like I just kind of like blinked my eyes and then then I have all these people that pay attention to what I do and like my pictures and watch my videos. And it's kind of like crazy, but 
I didn't even know at the time. So at this time, when people were like influencers, I wasn't quite in that space. Like I didn't even follow. I wasn't on Vine. Like I I was just like really out of the loop. I was just posting on Instagram. Just like everybody posts on Instagram. They post pictures about their cats and stuff. I just posted pictures about what I was eating, working out and, you know, my mindset because that was just it was like a diary for me. And it became like a creative outlet for me and like creating pictures and like editing pictures and taking videos like that was all fun. Like I like to create. So that kind of brought out that, you know, artistic side of me, I guess. And, you know, it was just starting to grow. I was I started to realize like what would make it grow. And I was just doing that more. So I was just like using hashtags. I was, you know, collabing with people or photographers or things like that. And I was having fun doing it. Like I wasn't making money off of it at first. And then as I was going through my recovery, like I said, I had to gain weight because I was so under, I was like severely underweight. I was about 30 pounds underweight. So then I gained 30 pounds and then I gained like another 15 pounds. And I was like my most like uncomfortable stage of my body. And I think a lot of girls too, whenever they gain weight, if they're like coming out of anorexia recovery, they start to like shut down and kind of freak out. Like, oh my gosh, my body's never been this heavy before. I don't fit into my jeans anymore and all this stuff. And I was definitely going through that, but I thought, well, I'm going to do my best to be positive about it. So I would take a picture. I would take however many pictures I had to take until I had one that I looked at and I was like, I look pretty good. And then I would post it and, you know, people, you know, responded to it, like just whether it's because they thought like, oh, like you, you know, you have a nice butt or with this girl saying like, wow, you're so confident. I want to be confident like that too. So people just responded to it in like all different ways. And then as I went from that place to where I am now, you know, I started working on my body a lot more. I really fine-tuned my nutrition. I I studied plant-based nutrition and everything. And I was able to eventually be comfortable again with counting macros and not it not having like an effect on a negative effect on me mentally. So what kind of foods did you sort of move towards eating? So I, I, like I said, I started with the raw till four and then I tried to eat fully raw for a while. And that was just not well with my body. My body just does better with like cooked food. I gave that a chance and I just didn't, it didn't digest well with me. So I started to do more cooked food. And then I was afraid of tofu. Like everybody was afraid of soy and everything. I was at first. And then I thought, I realized that whenever I ate it, I felt fine. So I just, you know, kept eating organic soy and I was okay. I just kind of created a routine. So I'd like wake up in the morning I'd have like a, a blueberry smoothie. And then I'd have like tofu and rice or beans and rice, or I'd have like pasta. And then I, like, I was eating a lot of carbs still, but they were just all cooked because really simple food. Yeah. Super simple, like cooked steamed veggies, or I would like bake potatoes in the oven. And that was it. Like, I don't really, I love eating out. I'm like, I'm such a foodie now, but at the time I was just keeping it super simple because I just, you know, I didn't feel like cooking, I guess. Yes. I was just eating that. And I would share that on YouTube just because as I was losing weight from where I, the point that I had gained weight, people started asking me like, Oh, what are you eating? So I was just like, I'll make videos because it's easier to, instead of answering a million people. And I started making videos about like what I eat in a day. And then I just kept sharing like, you know, my, um, I guess my lo- like not conceited way. I kept on sharing my love for myself because for me, that was a big step. So a lot of people might look at my Instagram and they see bikini pictures and they think, oh, it's just another Instagram model because they see bikini pictures and like a lot of likes or follows, but they have no idea that what I went through to get to the point where I can take a bikini picture mm-hmm and post it to the world, not caring who looks at it or who doesn't look at it. But I'm I'm just posting it because like I said, Instagram started out as like my creative little diary. And you said it before you needed, you went back and had therapy because you needed to practice what you're preaching. 
Yeah. And I feel like this is an extension of that because you're wanting people to learn to love themselves. You need to love yourself if you're actually going to be of service to them. Exactly. And, and the way that I look at it also is I look at some of the people that I admire or that I look up to were people that were like extremely confident and with women, it was like women who are confident with their body, no matter what their body, you know, looked like, whether they were like super shredded or curvy, like no matter what type of body they had, if they were confident and they're showing it off, you know, for me, I admired that because I just thought, wow, like they just literally don't care what anybody thinks. And it's empowering. It's empowering. Exactly. And, you know, like there's a quote that I always see floating around Instagram where it's like modesty empowers some, nudity empowers some, whatever, you know, something like that. And it's like, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, you don't have to be half naked in a bikini to feel empowered. But if that empowers you, then you should do it. And if you want to share it with people, then you should share it with people because it does inspire them if that is what speaks to them. You know, so I know that my message speaks to the right people. So I just I just keep on doing it and kind of sharing my journey. And like you said, practice what you preach by me talking about self-love. I really am working on it. I'm not just talking about it. Like it's a practice every single day. I have to sometimes put my phone away or just put some music on and like light some candles and like take a bubble bath by myself because I have to give myself like that time. And it's not like I'm telling everybody, oh, love yourself, love yourself. And I'm not doing it. Like it's a journey for me that I'm going through and it's bumpy. Sometimes I'm, I don't feel good. Sometimes I have my bad body image days. Like I had one yesterday where I'm just like, I don't feel good about my body and whatever. And then I, I'm like, no, I have to practice what I preach. And then I work on it and I just, I'm just going to keep sharing it. And I think, I mean, to your credit and, and everything that you're saying from the outside, I can see that it's that authenticity through your message. It's not just the photos by themselves. It's the message that's coming with them. Mm-hmm. It's a lot deeper than just a photo of yourself. Exactly. And I, I always try to share something that, you know, whatever's on my mind, I know that some, it's going to resonate with somebody somewhere. So that's why I, you know, I share the things that I do. Now, everything we've been speaking about so far, I think is in Tampa. Mm-hmm. We're sitting here in California. Yeah. Your boyfriend is in California, Nimai. He's sitting next to us. If anyone has just tuned in sort of halfway through the episode. <laughs> um, how did you, how did you end up in California? How did you meet Nimai? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> okay. So, I've always wanted to live in California. That was one thing that I knew. Like I always knew that I wanted to be, do something artistic and I wanted to live in California. And I even looked at colleges in California because I was so desperate to move out here. And when I was 19, I tried moving out here with my friend. We were only out here for a couple months. We just could not make it. And I ended up going back to Tampa. And that, and then after that, I got into bodybuilding and everything. So over a year ago now, wow, it's been a while. So like a year and a half ago, or so I was going through, you know, more like life changes, just like major turning points in my life. And I was just thinking like, you know what? I need to like live for myself now. Like I really want to move to California. And I was like, okay, by 2019, I'm going to move to California. Like that was what I thought. And then I met Nimai via social media and we had always followed each other because we were both like in the vegan fitness space and everything. And to be honest, whenever I first followed Nimai, I, I just kind of wrote him off as like another like meathead, but a vegan one. And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> a bit harsh, mate. <laughs> well, because like I knew so many bodybuilders. Were you guys getting around each other's photos, like liking each other's photos? or um, 
Nah, I'm, not really. Like, if it was on my timeline, probably just to be nice. Like, I like to take pictures <laughs> just to be nice. But, <laughs> but it was. I wasn't like. I wasn't like. Oh, like, what did Nima Delgado post today? Like, I wasn't. I didn't really think about it, and um, he probably didn't think about me either. And then, um, you know, I knew so many bodybuilders, and when I was like in bodybuilding, I like dated a couple of them, had terrible experiences. I don't think it has anything to do with bodybuilding. I just think that it was just the wrong people for me. But I was just like, I'll never date a bodybuilder again. So whenever we followed each other, I just followed him because I thought, you know, it was great what he was doing because he was you he were was, inspired. By- yeah. And he was doing the thing that wasn't there when I went vegan. When I went vegan, there was no, you know, vegan fitness influencers. There were no vegan bodybuilders. I mean, there there were, but they weren't posting on social media. So, yeah. So I just kind of looked at him as just like another meathead, but a vegan one. I thought he was probably going to be like a a D-bag. And, um, <laughs> and then anyways, one day he wrote, he wrote, had a post where he wrote about how when he was little, he used to get picked on because his name is different. And I was like, oh, that's kind of deep. Cause like I used to get picked on when I was little because my name is different. I mean, I don't really think Bianca is very different, but where I was in Tampa, I guess it was. I, so kids used to make fun of me. And then I started to kind of think differently of him. I thought he was a lot deeper than the few extra lays. Yeah. Few extra meathead lays. <laughs> yeah. More like a, more like an onion. <laughs> an onion meathead. Yeah. <laughs> so then one day just by like, I don't know, random, I think his post popped up on my feed and um, he said something about getting ready for a show. So I just like messaged him in response to the picture saying like you look great and like it's really great what you're doing like just being honest I wasn't trying to like slide or like like you know (laughs) hit on him or anything I was just I was just being honest because I just wanted to like make more friends and then he was like oh my gosh thanks like that means so much coming from you and I was like why and then we just started talking and then we started facetiming and then uh, I flew out here a bunch and then Every time I came out here to visit him, I would come, we'd be like, come to Venice or whatever. And I was just like, man, I love California so much. Like it's progressive. There's so many vegan restaurants. Like people here are so chill. The weather's perfect every single day. You know, why don't I live here? And then I told him like, it's a goal of mine to move here within like a year or whatever. And he would just, he kept kind of nudging me. He was like, just, you know, move now, like just move within the next two months. And I was like, I can't do that. And then I somehow I made it happen and I packed up all my important things into my car and I drove across the country and then I've been here now since last August. So. So when you first FaceTimed him or or (laughs) met him here, did you instantly realize that he was different to the, (laughs) to the guy that you thought he was, he was going to be? (laughs) Cause he's he's pretty different to your standard bodybuilder. Yeah. Well, um, I'm pretty sure the first time we talked was actually on Skype. Like we didn't exchange cell phone numbers and still we talked on Skype and we ended up talking for like, like two or three hours on Skype. Like when, whenever we would talk on the phone, it would be for like a long period of time. So our relationship was built on talking. We talked on Skype and I asked him like, why, you know, what does your name mean and everything? And then he just kind of went into his whole story, which if anyone's listened to your episode with him, then they probably know more like about him. And I thought, if you haven't check out episode three, episode three, (laughs) plug. And then, um, (laughs) And I was like, wow, he's he's not like a bodybuilder. He's just like a, I don't know, like a interesting person in a bodybuilder's body. Not to, not to shade bodybuilders, but, you know, I just hadn't met anybody who was able to kind of do both things. Like bodybuilding can look very superficial. And unfortunately, a lot of times you meet people in the field and they are quite superficial. There's, you know, but. But I guess similar to you, he, you would have been able to feel that he had a purpose and a message behind what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. And, um, 
and what he is doing. Yeah. And um, I just, you know, I resonated with everything he said and we just kind of clicked and we were just became like peas and carrots. And here we are. The rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah. And then we've we've been able to like do a lot of stuff together. Tell and- me about that. The um, you guys are doing veganfitness.com. Yeah. So I still have um, my business, BiancaTaylorFitness.com, but I wasn't doing as much coaching because as my social media grew, it was kind of hard to take on so many clients by myself. So I had to like limit it. And I really hated the fact that I had to turn people away. So I started doing group challenges with Bianca Taylor Fitness. And then Nima was still working as an engineer when I moved to California. And so was that in Bakersfield? No. <laughs> that was that was down. Like, I waited till he moved Long to Long Beach. Beach. Long yeah. Beach, okay. um, but <laughs> <laughs> that would have been interesting. I didn't want to move to Bakersfield. But, um, <laughs> but, Anyway, so he was still working as an engineer and I was doing like the influencer and coaching thing full time. And I always like to think that I kind of had an influence on nudging him to quit his job because like I had done it before and he would be at work all day and he would like, you know, text me from work or whatever. And I'd just be like editing a video or I'd go to the gym or I'd go for a walk. Like I do, do it, you know, organize my time however I wanted. He was like, you know, wanting to quit his job and he finally did. And I was doing like the group challenges, like I said, with my business. But then I was like, you know, I only coached women at the time, not because I can't coach men. Like I had coached men in the past, but I feel like my specialty lies with women because I know how to speak to women. I can understand from their perspective. And I feel like with men, even though they can men, women can totally coach men. I just felt like I didn't have as much to offer men. So I didn't want to feel like they were getting ripped off or anything like that. So I was only coaching women and I had a lot of men always asking me like, oh, will you coach me? So then after Nimai quit his job, I was like, why don't we do a challenge together and kind of everybody? Yeah. And open it to everybody. That way we can have, you know, you can have the male perspective. I can have the female perspective. We both have audiences that are, you know, asking us about coaching anyways. And we decided to do the next challenge together through veganfitness.com, which was like a project that he had been working on. So we launched the veganfitness.com true strength challenge in um, in April. Yeah, we launched the first one in April. So we're on the third challenge now. And we had a really awesome launch. And then with each program, it just gets better and better. And it's on, is it online? It's completely. Like, so if someone's listening and they want to get involved, what is, what is it and how would they get involved? So it's completely online. And with the program, you get all of the tools that you need. So they're eight weeks long each. So when you sign up for the program and with it, you get the training programs. You can pick a home-based program, a gym-based program. You could pick shredding or bulking. And then with that, you get the training program and there's a video for every exercise. And then you also get macros that are custom to your body. So you would fill out a survey, letting us know details about your body. And we'll give you custom macros, a meal plan that goes with the macros. And then you have like our database of recipes that we're always adding to. I'm always like, I've, I've really fallen in love with cooking, I would say in the past year. And I'm always trying to work on new recipes. So we're always adding recipes that they can, you know, work into their macros and stuff. And then they also can check in every week with us so they can upload their check-in picture. They can do a weigh-in, tell us how they're feeling or if they need any help. And then we can have that, you know, that's where they get the one-on-one attention with both of us. And then once a week, we also do a Facebook live. So they get to be in a a private Facebook group. And then we do like a live Q and A and they can just kind of interact with us, ask us any questions about pretty much about anything. So they, they, they really get to like almost work with you guys. Exactly. We, we wanted it to be as, you know, as personal as possible. We don't, we don't want it to feel like, even though it is online, we still want it to feel like, you know, we're right there for any questions that they need. They also have like full email support. So if they have 
a question, they can email us and, you know, we answer and just kind of give them all the tools that they need, get, keep them accountable. That's why we like having the check-ins and the, the live Q&As. And even with the Facebook group, we've been able to build a really great community because a lot of people, they're vegan or they want to go vegan, but they don't know any vegans. Like when I was in Tampa, I, did, I said I didn't know any vegans. But with the community, you get to communicate with people who are they're doing the same training program as you. You know, they're on the same journey, whether they're a new vegan or they've been vegan for a couple of years, but they want to get fit or lose weight or build muscle. And you can kind of connect with people that have, you know, like minded. So I'd end up Skyping like you guys. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like waiting for the day that I get a wedding invitation <laughs> and they're like, we met in the True Strength program. Like, <laughs> So the so far, tell me about the results. You must have had some amazing results. Yeah, the results have been amazing. So we also pick winners with, at the end of the challenges. We pick a couple winners and they win cash prizes. So our last our last challenge, True Strength 2, our winner, she had lost 20 pounds and just completely like transformed her life. So she won a thousand dollars. Our winners before in the other challenge that had also like completely transformed their bodies all in different ways because everyone has different goals and everyone's at a different starting place. But we've had some amazing stories just from so many people. Like, you know, like I said before, when they change their health, not only are they feeling better, but they start to become more confident. And we had a client who completely cleared up her cystic acne just from the plant-based diet over eight weeks. And she wrote us this amazing email about how she was in tears because she had just never seen her skin so clear. And something like that is just like, wow, I can't believe I, from me just giving somebody, you know, the advice with all of the knowledge that I've learned and they've been able to, you know, she can feel good about not wearing makeup. Like that's a win for me. That's huge. (laughs) Yeah. And like, just, this is, this definitely wasn't an intentional plug or anything. I, I don't think there'd, there'd be a better male, female, combo in the world to give this sort of vegan fitness advice from a from a workout and a nutrition point of view so i get messages all the time where do i start guys this is where you start get involved and i'm going to have them to show the note the link in the show notes so that anyone listening who is interested can jump in and get a bit more information yeah and our our next challenge because we're in the middle of one right now but you know the challenges they open periodically and you can sign up whenever like the new challenge is open and, you know. Is it open, like can anyone of any age or is there certain ages you'd recommend? Yeah, um, it's open for everybody. We don't have, uh, you know, you can't be too old to do it. We have all ages of people in there, all different backgrounds, people from all over the world. You so can, they don't need to look at Neymar and be scared. It can no, <laughs> Yeah, not at all. And and one thing that I love is just because, because I've been through this mental health journey and this self-love journey is, I'm able to share the things that I've learned and my perspective with my clients because, you know, going on a fitness journey or weight loss journey can be an emotional process. And that's mainly why I'm so passionate about mental health really does tie in with fitness and nutrition, because when you feel like you have a hundred pounds to lose, or you feel like you have 50 pounds to lose or 20 pounds to lose, like that can be really scary. And if it's not happening right away and you think, oh, I'm doing something wrong, I'm stuck this way, you know, nothing's ever going to change. You don't have to feel like unhappy in your body. And I'm able to use, you know, all of the things that I've learned as far as, you know, you know, progressing mental health to kind of, you know, keep my clients positive and keep them, you know, taking care of not just like their bodies and getting in shape, but also like keep taking care of their minds. So. So going forward outside of veganfitness.com mm-hmm. is, is mental health and, and being an advocate and getting out there and speaking something that you see yourself doing. Yeah, I actually, I love talking about it. I'm actually going to be starting my own podcast soon. There we go. 
What's it, what's it called? It's called Badass Babe Radio. Okay. When's it coming out? It's going to be coming out in November. Badass Babe Radio. There we go. Badass Babe Radio. So I'm so excited. I've had some amazing talks on it so far. And, you know, mental health is going to be like a big, a big highlight of it as well as like a lot of things, just, you know, women's empowerment and, you know, body positivity and all of the things that I'm awesome. passionate about. So I, I love talking about them. And yeah, I've just, after kind of seeing Nima in the podcast space and like being on different podcasts, it's just kind of inspired me to like, just talk more about it. And anytime, you know, people want me to speak at events and stuff, like I'll be speaking at, um, uh, VegFest in London and things like that. Like I really like doing that, even though it seems kind of scary to me, but every time I do it, I just like word vomit like a ton. And then people are really positive about it. So, <laughs> and just, just to wind up this episode, if there is any young girl or even young guy listening who is going through his own battles, what are your sort of take home tips or messages for them if they're wanting some support and help? My biggest tip, number one is to always get help. You don't ever have to feel alone or feel like, you know, there's no way out, no matter what your situation is in. I've been through some crazy, you know, unimaginable experiences before, and I'm able to you know, be here today, like living in the place I always wanted to live in, you know, living my passion. So you can, you know, you can survive. And I would always tell somebody to go get help, professional help and keep on trying because the first therapist might not be the one. So don't give up just because, you know, you go to one therapist and you're like, I don't really like him. Keep just go to the next one. Keep going. I would also tell them to build a support system because it's really important to just have positive people that that care about you and that, you know, you know that you can talk to and they're not going to judge you. Like a therapist is part of that support system. But if you can talk to friends or family or whoever it may be, just know who that support system is. And I would also tell them to take care of their health because, you know, your nutrition and your fitness plays a big role in your mental health. Because if you're eating, you know, terribly, if you're out eating McDonald's and just like pounding in like cholesterol and just it's going to throw off your hormones. It's which is going to have an even bigger effect on how you feel. Your, you know, your gut health is going to be all messed up. Your serotonin is going to be off. So just like optimizing your health from a nutritional standpoint is a huge factor in mental health. I think that is often overlooked. And then just, you know, to not, to not give up because sometimes you feel like you want to give up, but always just keep going. If you can make it to tomorrow, then, you know, sometimes that's all you have to do. Beautiful. Now, before we wrap up, how can anyone get in touch with you if they want to ask you a question or follow you on social media? My social media for Instagram is Bianca Taylor M and Bianca Taylor Fitness. And then for YouTube, it's youtube.com slash Bianca Taylor Fit, or they could just search Bianca Taylor. And on YouTube, I'm able to talk a lot more about mental health because Instagram is a little bit limiting. And then, you know, from, from my Instagram, my contact is on there. So for emailing or anything like that. Awesome. Nima summarized it very well at the Plant Focus event last week, but just like to thank you for being so strong and sharing your message. It's such an incredibly important topic and breaking down the stigma around mental health is incredibly important. So thank you for coming on the show and looking forward to connecting again in the future. Yes, thank you for having me. Whoa, I can't thank Bianca enough for sharing her story and going into so much detail there. Please, guys, if you are ever feeling down or know someone who is, let them know it's okay. Support them where you can, whether that's just listening, 
asking if they're okay or helping them find a professional that they can speak to. Simply asking, are you okay? may just open someone up to confide in you and tell you about their struggles. A simple gesture like that may just save someone's life. If you do want to speak to someone in Australia, you can call Lifeline on 131114. In America, Suicide Prevention Lifeline on 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, Samaritan's Helpline 116123. And for any other country, just Google the country name and suicide helpline and it should come up straight away for you. See you next episode, guys.